For July 3rd, 2017, it's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 470, Making It Aesthetic. This is Overthinking It, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. The overthinkers are your smart, funny friends from the internet. We're never happier than when we're hanging out together, uh, watching, listening to, experiencing the things we love, the movies, TV, music, uh, and talking about it all together. And we're, we're glad to be talking about it with you tonight. And I'm glad to be talking about it with my friend, Pete Fenzel. Good evening, Pete. Good evening, Matthew. Yeah, and I am Matt Rather. All right, it's evening when we're recording this. It may be, it may not be evening uh, when when you're listening to it, but that's all right. It's maybe a little. It's an evening of the mind. We're going to cast cast a like a crepuscular, uh, you know, pall over whatever the busyness of your day is, and and settle in for some contemplation of the movie Baby driver uh so we're going to be spoiling uh things in baby driver if you haven't seen it uh you might want to uh hold off on this particular episode though i you know i'm not sure there's i guess there are one or two little twists one or two little things that pop up that that you it's nice to have as a surprise um but it's not a movie i feel like it's not a movie that relies heavily on plot in fact quite the opposite it sort of really really leans into the well worn grooves of the tropes of like heist movies and getaway driver stuff and one last job, you know, and, uh, and this kind of stuff. And so it's more an exercise in, in tone and style. Uh, it's a little bit like the Enigma variations, right? That's an Elgar piece, isn't it? Where like the, the, you never hear the main theme. You only hear the variations on it and you're supposed to guess, uh, what the main, what the main theme was. And, and there is a, there is a sort of enigmatic quality, um, to the movie i i you know i thought but we're getting ahead of ourselves i mean being overthinking it the first question that we have to ask pete before any other question is is this movie good or is it bad good or bad now i have two friends on facebook who posted completely diametrically opposed reviews Uh, that's redundant just diametrically opposed reviews uh you can't be partially diametrically opposed. If you're diametrically opposed, you're completely opposed. Uh, now, one person, uh, actually, it was our, it was our friend, uh, John Parrish, said that the movie was good. Uh, now, he had more to say than that, uh, clearly, um, and, and more insight, but it boils, I'm, I'm going to give you the, the Cliff's Notes versions and that it was good. And then I had another friend whom I won't name uh, for fear of embarrassing him or her, uh, who said that the movie was bad and, and used like horrid, awful, waste oh. of time, uh, used words like this to, to describe the film. Now, I don't happen to agree with that person, uh, but my opinion doesn't matter pete only yours so tell tell me once and for all was this movie good or was it bad the movie is retrograde which is its (laughs) biggest problem (laughs) the movie wait it's backwards are we still doing music theory does that mean it's backwards it's played (laughs) it's played in reverse order the notes Uh, the, the movie has a few big problems that will make it really turn off certain specific people who go to watch it for the audience that isn't bothered by the things about this movie that are retrograde, the movie is good. For the people who are bad, who are upset about that, the movie is bad. Uh, I would even venture to say the movie is potentially upsetting and, and difficult to watch for certain subgroups of the audience because of issues of representation. And we're at the point now where this is expected from the audiences. They're going to chime in on it. But even so, there are a lot of movies that take heat for issues of representation. And Baby Driver, I think, in particular, deserves to take some heat for the issues of representation because I think they also get to the heart of what the movie could have been about if it were just a little bit better and sort of what the soul of this movie seems to be sort of straining for and reaching for and doesn't quite grasp, even despite being good. Uh, in terms of execution and the th- kinds of things that it's trying to do. 
So, so is, yeah. it, is it that the movie is it could be subtitled Real White People of Atlanta? <laughs> I mean, that's the problem. That, <laughs> right. that is not how the movie starts. That is not the middle of the movie, but that is the end of the movie. And that is the problem, which is that all at the end of the story, the only characters who do anything that matter are the white men and everybody else is just along for the ride or dead. And that is not the way that the world of the movie progresses through the first half. And it's the kind of thing where if you're used to that being the thing that happens in movies because of entrenched structural racism in the way that culture works, then that doesn't bother you, especially if you're a white man and that you just see that as normal. Right. Like then that's not going to bother you so much. But I would I mean, was your friend who didn't like it either a woman or a person of color? Yes, I'll I'll, I'll uh, reveal at this much. Uh, it was a woman. She would and okay. she did. She didn't like the uh, she didn't like the film. The female characters in this movie are terrible. They're, they're absolutely terrible. And if I and if I were looking at, at, for a female character to identify myself with in this movie of course it's going to piss me off especially after my appetite has been whetted by wonder woman and i have understood that oh you know what actually connecting with a character in an action movie is pretty awesome <laughs> and identifying with them is actually really great and this is something that i felt kind of deprived of over the i, I heard I, did you hear this a lot during the wonder woman immediate aftermath because i sure did this idea of Oh wow! I finally get why guys like superhero movies. Oh yeah, sure. That was really. Yeah. I mean, uh, that was really in the discourse and and things like this. And this, you know, and this is actually like it makes the movie better, right? I I feel like one of the not that we should dignify this viewpoint by by even expressing it or or airing it, but you know, among a certain kind of uh, among a, a certain kind of regressive criticism of uh, more varied kinds of representation in in all our media uh is that it will make the the thing worse right and in fact that is wrong it makes the thing better right yeah. <laughs> because you know uh it's it's better to have more characters to care about right and and writing um writing good characters is you know is an interest uh, is an interesting thing i don't know the the i it's hard not to whenever you're watching an Edgar Wright movie, it's hard not to just always have the Cornetto trilogy in your head, right? And a lot of the Cornetto trilogy is about... Uh uh, is about sort of male relationships is about that kind of friendship tight friendship sort of pseudo brotherhood uh kind of stuff and uh it's interesting here because it doesn't even it doesn't even get to that maybe with kevin spacey a little bit uh the the ansel elgort character and baby and um the kevin spacey character as the sort of the crime boss who sets up the who sets up the jobs and 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 things like this um but it's it it doesn't even have that sort of redeeming redeeming quality where where you're sort of looking at people who uh legitimately care about about one another in a way that can be kind of moving because they're willing to sacrifice for um, they're willing to sacrifice for, for one another. So yeah, it's not a, and even like, look, even the, given the plethora of, of, you know, agency having plot moving white dudes uh, to root for in this movie, who do you really want to who do you really want to be you know who do you who do you actually want to identify with so that i mean i don't know that's that's what i i meant when i said it was a sort of an exercise to me and a, a sort of exercise in in um tone and style uh and that's you know or or i don't know it's sort of like casino right like casino is about sort of taking those characters from from goodfellas that you kind of even liked a little bit they had charisma and a, just a certain quality that you could care about a little bit in goodfellas and just making them so completely unlikable so completely devoid of humanity right like especially that joe pesci character um that you know it's a it's a challenge to uh to identify with and, and a, a little bit something similar something similar is going on here because if you're looking for identification there isn't really a place to hang your hat yeah and it's i i think i would also echo what parrish said where it is a better directed movie than a written movie yes that was one of the nuances that he said in his review yeah. that that it was good <laughs> 
I would even venture to say that if this were a movie that you saw from a foreign film market or culture, like if this were a Hong Kong action movie or a Bollywood movie, it would be a lot easier to take because you could create a little bit more distance between yourself and the specific politics of representation of it because it would be someone else's movie, not your movie, not presuming to be a movie that shows you you. Right. But here's the other thing. And this is where I think we delve into what the movie means and is trying to do. The movie sets itself up to actually say some pretty interesting things about this sort of subject and then doesn't follow through on them, partly because it's not a particularly great written movie, better directed movie. The style of it is cool. The car chases are awesome. Uh, And and that all stuff is all great. Uh, But because it falls short in the writing department, there's sort of threads and promises that are left undelivered on. And, sure. and a big and a big one is what is the context and meaning of the word baby? Right. Like, what is the baby driver? Yeah. And I feel like what is think, what is the baby? What is the driver and what is the baby driver? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And I feel like there is a, a proposition in the movie as to what this means and that it isn't followed up on, which is the conflict between Jamie Foxx and John Hamm, where John Hamm is an investment banker. We, we presumably take Jamie Foxx's analysis as correct, given the way it's reflected, right? That John Hamm was a wealthy and successful man in the white collar world whose life fell apart because of his misbehaviors and who turned to the criminal world as an escape and entertainment, uh, personal validation, some way to take his adrenaline junkiness or his in- internal drives to a further level than was permissible within the sort of white picket fence of his world. Right. This is Don Draper gone. Punisher is what John Hamm is in this movie. Where sure. he just, OK. Not, and, and where Jamie Foxx says you were outside of this world and you came into this world as if it's fun. And I was born into this world and this is the world that I've always lived in and for me it's necessary. And because of this, I don't respect you and I don't respect why you're doing this and I don't think you should be doing it. And I also don't think that anybody should be listening to you or obeying what you're saying. So this raises the question, so for me, Baby Driver is about a guy who is not afforded over the course of his life the expected uh, he's not afforded the opportunity to live a life within the law and and then in a way that he would have liked and that would have provided him with what he needs and this is mainly taken away from him by the accident that takes the lives of his parents leaves him an orphan he starts acting out misbehaving steals from kevin spacey ends up owing kevin spacey a lot of money and sort of Piece after piece after piece of his life becomes more entrenched in this criminal world. And the baby driver is sort of like, oh, he's been doing this since he was born, since he was a baby. Right. And that means that he's sort of more aligned with the Jamie Foxx character who was born into the world of crime and who did not choose to join it for fun. And uh, and yet throughout the movie, largely because of racial politics and because of attitudes and because of discourses, bourgeois discourses of parenting and kind of like, oh, and music. And the music is the big one, right? Because of bourgeois discourses of music, Baby Driver identifies more with the John Hamm character than with the Jamie Foxx character. Even though Baby Driver on a narrative arc level resembles the Jamie Foxx character more. And I felt like what this movie wanted was some sort of synthesis of these two ideas or some sort of confrontation between these two worldviews that allowed there to be some sort of insight in the ruin as to how this all works. Right. The the very good line summing it up is when Jamie Foxx says to John Hamm, uh, you do robbery to fuel your drug problem, your drug habit. I do drugs to fuel my robbery habit. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and that like, uh, you know, sort of encapsulates the two encapsulates the two Worldviews. I mean, I I get I see what you're saying about him being aligned more with the Jamie Foxx character. I mean, let me make a case for him being suspended a little more in the middle between the two worlds. You know, he 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 wasn't necessarily born into 
the robbery world the way J- the Jamie Foxx character purports to have been. Uh, and he didn't necessarily choose it, right? I, right. There, the, the aspect of coercion, if you set aside, you know, uh, the coercion of sort of social circumstances, right? The aspect of coercion is missing from, from the other two. And he's, uh, he's, he neither finds it fun nor is it his native milieu, right? And that, uh, you know he's kind of in that though he's very highly highly skilled at it um that's the you know that's the sort of suspension that he finds himself in and uh the one of the definitions of baby that's offered early in the movie is we call him baby because we we're still waiting for his first words right and a little bit there's some sort of milestone He's a character in in Arrested Development, right? Like he's there's some sort of milestone that he hasn't reached yet, some sort of thing. And the idea of like words and having to do with communication, there's some sort of communication that he hasn't been able to uh, hasn't been able to manage to summon up, right? Like in a, a little bit, you sort of see this with the way he's he's pushed around and the the way he won't. Um, explain uh he he won't kind of take a stand on certain things until until really the third act of the movie um the the and it's the you know it's the romance that that allows him allows him to do it so it's the you know the the uh um the the combination i mean the the sort of battle of the fathers over the uh uh, it's, it's a, I mean, I would call it an Obi-Wan Kenobi, Darth Vader situation, except it's, it's more like a, you know, I don't know, Darth Vader, Darth Vader situation. <laughs> well, and even there's three of them, right? Yeah. Darth Vader, Darth Vader, Darth Vader. Yeah. Or the, yeah, Darth, Darth Vader, Darth Vader and the emperor or something like that. Right. right? Like there's, but you know, um, do you like, you know, do you like this? Uh, do you have to do it because it's who you are? Right. Like, uh, is this, you know, is this your identity? Is this a, um, is this a luxury? I mean, Kevin Spacey, like Kevin Spacey sort of represents the, the, the hand of fate, right? Like, cause he, he sort of, he is that, uh, you know, because he, he, <laughs> because, um, he doesn't really give him a choice, right? Because, uh, uh, there is no kind of negative option with him. Uh, there is no possibility for signification in Kevin space. He must be termed that, which is not a sign. Uh, and the, uh, <laughs> you know, he says there, there's good news and bad news, except there's only good news, which is that you're going to do the job. Uh, you're going you're to make the, a lot of money. Yeah, exactly. Um, and that's, uh, you know, so he's, so Kevin Spacey sort of collapses dichotomies down into, uh, into a, a sort of a single proposition, um, which seems self-evidently true, but which is in fact false. So, right. the, and, you know, there's yeah. a battle between the three, between the three, uh, there's a battle between the three fathers. So you think something is going to be sort of said about masculinity and it isn't really. And you think there's going to be some sort of, uh, maybe it's going to be sentimental to the point of being kind of maudlin about the romance. It's not really uh, a little bit, but it's not, it's not really. Uh, I will say that it, it is refreshing to see Rose from Downton Abbey uh, play a character who does not have a moment that's that's like, oh, you're a criminal. Well, I never. I have to go home and cry about this for for <laughs> for one for one montage for one soundtrack song. Um, you know, wh- when it just comes up, she's like, oh, okay, this is this is what this is. I get. I I get it. But um, yeah, the the sort of it's not clear. You know, I don't know. It's not it's well, not, to, yeah. to jump off of one thing you said. If Baby Driver and I believe you and agree with you on this, if Baby Driver's journey in this movie is a journey toward communication. Yeah, he doesn't get there with Deborah. They don't really communicate. No, not really. And that's and that's and that's the real problem with the relationship in the movie is that Deborah is this motherly figure up to and including the 50s car and the 50s housewife outfit she's there to replace the role of baby's mother right and not the role of baby's companion friend 
Yeah, I mean, she's she's associated with the provision of food as a diner waitress, with housework, because the the scene in the laundromat, right? She's associated with these uh, kind of domestic caretaking functions. Right. And so I don't think Baby actually completes his arc in this movie. I think he ends up where he he started, which is that – and I agree with you. When you said – Baby isn't really born into this world. That's true. Baby is born into a comfortable suburban nuclear family, and it seems to be what he is seeking to return to. And I don't think in a world where things blow up this much, he can be expected to just walk back into it, which is what he does. Yeah. At the end of the- uh, yeah. I mean, how did you read that? Did you read that as like, that's what actually happens in the thing? Like he, he serves his time, gets paroled because he, he doesn't really look older when he, he comes out of prison and, uh, she, she's waiting there in the fifties car for him to, uh, to take her away. I was really hoping it was going to be an occurrence on Owl Creek Bridge situation yeah. where that was all flash forward. And then we were going to cut back to the parking garage and there was going to be some other thing that happened. Yeah. I don't think the movie gives us enough information to think that Baby Driver is dead at the end of the movie, which would be another way of interpreting all that, that that's the fantasy that doesn't happen. Even the idea that all of the people who were around for his various robberies that he was nice to testify on his behalf in court is a fantasy. Yeah. And and so that doesn't to me, I expect I expected it to have a different ending even after all of that, and it didn't feel over. And I I guess the way to really interpret it that feels most of a piece with the project is to imagine it as being a suspension of the reality of the film into kind of a mind space that doesn't resolve. It ends on a leading tone. It ends on sort of a this nebulous idea of what might float above the surface or above the events of the movie. I mean, do you, you feel that way too? That, that, that it wasn't really, it didn't really ring true yeah. as the actual event. Well, it was a, I mean, it was a couple things. It used a, it used a visual language that was associated with the, uh, with like the fantasy sequence earlier in the film. Like they had a, they had more or less the same scene, um, but, but kind of a little more Don Draper. Uh, ironic because Don actual Draper, literal Don Draper was in the movie. Um, yes. But the, uh, Think of all the people who wanted to set Don Draper on fire and never got the chance. Right. <laughs> and now Baby Driver gets to do it? Pshaw. <laughs> um, it, it just feels like there was a moment where Baby Driver was riddled with police bullets right before having that flash forward. And they took it out of the movie because it was too dark. Is <laughs> what it feels like to me. Yeah. That there was some other ending to this movie that was too dark. Sure. Um, well, right. That that like... Yeah, because it's sort of a—I mean—it's sort of a happy ending, right? Like the the, the sort of—it's a very happy. Ending. Well, I mean, it, yeah, but it's—I—I I don't know—it's undercut for me by the by the fact that it sort of rings. Fu- it, it's like a happy ending cut in from from another movie for some of the reasons that, that we've been we've been delving into, right? Like it's and when I mean, when do you think the last? What's the last shot of the real movie if that whole flash forward is a fantasy? It's when they twist his arm, right? On the on uh, as they're arresting him, you know, he puts his hands behind his back and you expect a sort of orderly, you know, you expect a sort of orderly non-sadistic how, how arrest. How did they get out of how did they get out of Atlanta and drive all night until it was sunrise? Yeah. In a giant Chevy uh blazer Rid- riddled with bullet holes. Yeah. How did they do that? It just elided. How did how did Deborah do it, who has never shown any interest, let alone capability to evade capture by the police? Yeah. Does she even know how to drive? Maybe not. Yeah. Does John Hamm even explode in a flaming ball of fire? <laughs> like is 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 the last shot of the movie that's real? John Hamm falling over the ledge or even before John Hamm falling over the right. ledge. Right. And and the the sort of the bit where she uh takes the crowbar and and uh, hits John Hamm with it, right? Like th- this doesn't seem like her character, right? If she's going to become like resourceful sidekick, uh if she's going to become Bonnie, you know? Yeah. Uh then uh then that that's a transformation that needs to be sort of prepared in her character and kind of made 
you know, uh, made part of the larger framework of, of the artistic project. Um, you know, and, and, and yet I don't think like, I don't know, to, to me, a lot of this is sort of irrelevant, right? Like the, the, to, because it's not where the film's heart was like the film's heart was in mastery of space. You know, it's in that, uh, those two very long, uh, single shot things where, uh, the first run to get coffee where he's sort of dancing through the, uh, dancing through the city, you know, going, uh, around people, um, under you know under the the rebar or whatever the kind of construction material that's being carried is lumber maybe um you know spinning around poles stopping all in time with the music stopping at the the mural of the tr- or the music store that has a trumpet hanging in the window to kind of pose in front of the trumpet as he's playing it while trumpets are on the soundtrack um and then t- you know and then going back going back doing the same doing the same thing in reverse right like that's the that's what it is the kind of some of the some of the amazing driving the the drifting the uh the way he can drive better backwards than most people can drive forwards right it's this this sort of mastery of of physical space that is the uh uh that's that's what the film is about and kind of moving um, gracefully moving with purpose, uh, you know, moving with, with force and panache through the whole, um, through the, through the landscape. Like that's where, uh, you know, that's, that's where it is. Like, this is not a guy who should, who should have a nice suburban home. You know, he shouldn't be in the laundromat because the laundromat is where the clothes go around and around and around and around in the, in the, uh, in the same place. Right. And he's, he's about sort of taking off. Um, you know, I, I, I mean, I don't know. Do you buy my, do you buy my contention that this is where, where the film's heart is in terms of like, it's, it's uh depiction of a, of a kind of a graceful and, and assertive mastery of physical space. I think so. I think that the, the real, the heart of the film is also in the technique of playing with diegetic and non-diegetic music and, and fading the music in and out of the reality of the movie and coordinating even the very metaphysics of the world with the music. But things like when a, a word shows up in the graffiti that's in the lyrics of the music and it's impossible that that was what was going to happen, right? That, that it's, this is obviously being presented to us in the context of a music video where the events are determined by the lyrics of the song rather than the other way around, which is not the way that the real world works or or the idea that driving to music. So let's just in- interrogate the proposition of driving to music. For yeah. A second. yeah. Yeah. So when you drive to music, what are you doing? Sure. You, yeah, you are. And I'll, I'll throw something out there. You are doing you are going somewhere in your car <laughs> to go do something or nothing. And you play music in order to add additional meaning, entertainment value, rhythm, enjoyment, sensory pleasure to the experience of doing the thing that you are already doing. Right. I mean, there's two there's two levels to that, depending on how enjoyable the drive is. One is you're trying to sort of take your mind off your grueling commute or something like that. Yeah. Or the other is you're, you know, flying down the coast highway, you know, the sun rising or setting behind you, uh, you know, you, the top down on your convertible, the wind blowing through your hair and you're playing some, I, you know, I don't know, whatever, whatever you're into might be like in, uh, on PCH here in California might be the beach boys or something like that. You know, you're playing, I get around, Right. And that <laughs> and it's, really in mono blasting it out your speaker. Yeah, exactly. The, the Giddy whole, up 409. Yes. Um, and the, the yeah, and you're you're doing that. And it's more it's more the kind of the cherry on top of the Sunday. Right. Like it's it's uh, it's there to kind of perfect the uh, it's there to kind of perfect the 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 moment, but in in any case, like I think the point is, it's a net positive, right? It's a it's a way of kind of through a little aestheticization, aestheticization, uh, uh, through making it aesthetic. 
it's a way, uh, you know, it's a way of kind of elevating the experience either from a terrible experience, uh, to a bearable one or, uh, from an enjoyable experience to a sublime one. Right. That, that's one way of looking at it. <laughs> Another way of looking at it is that the driving is an existence and the music is an essence huh. where you're, yes, you're, you're adding enjoyment to it, but you're also adding meaning to what you're doing. Yeah. That, that there's something that you're doing and then you're adding an additional meaning to it. And, or, and I'm, I'm, I'm offering this in addition to what you're saying, right? Which is, yes, uh, uh, there, one way of looking at it is that you're taking something that's mundane and you're making it more fun. Another way of looking at it is that you're taking something that is just a thing that is happening and you're making it into something that is meaningful. Yeah. And then in Baby Driver, what you're doing is you are taking the meaning and then you are using the meaning to proceed and create the thing that is happening. That the car chases and the racing and the, the heists and all that stuff, it emer- it comes from the music rather than the music complimenting the chases and there's times where this goes back and forth for example when baby starts the song early and he has to stop the song and restart the song is an interesting moment there's this idea that if he doesn't have the song going in the right time he won't be able to conduct all the actions he needs to conduct over the course of the chase to make it successful that he's actually rehearsed these chases in time with the music which is absurd right like that that's an absurd thing to suggest given what happens so he's like okay so when this song plays i'm going to drive the chevy avalanche sideways along the slate embankment while the former marine fires a sawed off shotgun at me right and like and i'm going to just barely evade him it makes sense as something that he would want to do if the things that happened and followed were more plausible instead it seems like something that he's going to create it seems like Baby Driver sort of brings the car chase into being by his experience of the music yeah. rather than uses the music to inform the experience of the car chase. Yeah, sure. Um, that Yeah, so it's a, I mean, it's kind of a chicken or the egg thing, right? Like, which comes first, the car chase or the soundtrack to the car chase? And, and right. the idea that, which, you know, maybe, you know, right, this is, this is, portrait of the artist as a young getaway driver right i'm sure that the some of the the sequences in the film were created inspired by the music that you know that they wanted to use right like that that uh, edgar wright wanted to use like i'm sure that at least to to some extent the 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 music suggested creative elements that then the, you know that didn't pre-exist it that that then went into the film so a little bit he's kind of you know uh through this he's kind of creating um, creating genre uh, genre around him. I mean, it's funny. He doesn't play his own mixes. I think the one thing that's that's a little unexplored is his habit of kind of wicked wicked remix of uh, you know the things that he listens to the the speech that that he hears um, and sort of making it. Uh, into cassette tapes like is that you know i don't know it's, it's supposed to take place today he should be posting it to soundcloud right he should I, I, I think it's actually quite contemporary there's a thing about making tapes now for kids Not oh for yeah kids, but for i think making tapes is a thing now yeah these kids like, today it, yeah the kids today and their and their rainbow parties which you always love to talk about uh, i think that making tapes i mean tapes and vinyl this, this there's an idea of authenticity to the experience of working in those analog media that and you take you sort of take a digital product right and you put it on the analog media or a digitally informed and processed product and you put it on the analog media to give it this additional sense of authenticity and maybe that's what he's doing i think this is a really good point that the the whole mixing important conversations and particularly validating conversations when baby driver encounters somebody who compliments him he records it and remixes it in in a sense, he mirrors the validation that someone else gives him and validates himself in his own language by changing it into music, which is how he conceives of the world. And that's interesting. You know, that's that's definitely more interesting than his oddly chaste relationship with the diner waitress, which also has no sort of torrid immediacy to it and seems entirely based on you know second act catcher in the ride notions of how men and women ought to get along right <laughs> uh <laughs> which n- never quite arrives at the third act of, never never quite gets to the point where he like passes out and has his psychic break 
and understands that the way he looked at the world was incorrect. <laughs> this is like this is like a Holden Caulfield fantasy. This whole thing, yeah. where he's like, I'm going to save, I'm going to rob all the banks, but I'm also going to save everybody while I'm doing it, and that's just how it's going to be. And and then everyone will love me, and you're it'll all, be awesome. Yeah, all those phonies will understand. You know, <laughs> you're all a bunch of phonies. And uh, I, they, they could have done more with the idea. Like, it was a great tense moment when. They found out he was recording the conversations and he said he was doing it to make remixed music out of it. And they didn't believe him. And they took the tapes from his apartment and they played the tapes. And then it told that he was telling the truth. Right. And, and then the, there's not what's the payoff? What comes after that? No. Yeah. The middle the middle tape is mom. Right. And like so is the music a way of getting getting back in touch with his mother. Right. Is this a li- you know, is this a little bit like um uh, like a Star Lord situation, you know. Uh, a little bit, yeah. It, it seems like a bit. It seems like I called this movie the uh, the Guard- Guardians of the Furious, yeah. right? Because it's like cashing in on both big franchises right now. Though so it's it's a little in its kind of modest. It's um, I don't know. Not even not even Fast and Furious. It's uh, it's got some Fast and the Furious one. Uh, kind of DNA in it because of the emphasis on like practical, you know, sort of non, they're not driving cars out of, out of windows. I was like, Oh, is he going to jump off the, the highway off ramp? And it's like, no, of course he's not going to jump off the highway, uh, overpass because that's not the universe. This doesn't exist in the late, in the, uh, you know, linear fastiverse. Right. This this uh, this exists in the the Fast and Fur- uh, the Fast and the Furious one um, averse where there is yeah. still some sort of constraint on the on the vertical movement, the horizontal side to side movement seems to be uh, a little more fluid. I loved the choice of cars. This was a great. Oh yeah, so I was yeah. about to. I was about to say you don't see a lot of Subarus, Pete, in action movies, do, <laughs> do you? But tell me, tell me at length about the Subaru in this movie and well, uh, what I can take a, away from it. It's a 2006 Subaru WRX, uh-huh. <laughs> which is the uh, turbocharged, more powerful, more I guess track worthy. Uh, trim and uh, model of the Subaru Impreza uh, sedan in this case, I believe, right? Uh, it is it is a very important car culturally for the accessibility of fast cars to dudes and then women and dudes and ladies and everybody. But people who are interested – so one thing my dad has said to me about cars in a sort of bemoaning, uh, nostalgic sort of way – is, you know, back in my day, I could afford a Mustang. I could just buy one. And now Mustangs are like BMWs. They're really expensive, even, especially new ones. And it, it's, uh, I mean, you know, they, you could get a Mustang for less than, than a 3 Series or whatnot. But still, buying a new car at all is something that's out of the reach of most people. And there's a sense that having access to nice things like this used to be something that middle class people and even young middle class people could could get. And now they can't have it. Like like homeownership in that respect. Yeah, it, well, a lot like homeownership, which is a lot what Baby Driver is about because he can't have the home and he can't have the car. And, and there's this sense that everybody in society has to be a criminal because there's no legitimate way to proceed in the world that makes any sense but the wrx especially used wrx's used miatas these are important cars to the well the fast and the furious set right uh, and you know mazda three speeds or speed threes right the cars that you can get used that are older that have power that can be you know modified or tricked out in various ways that it can give you what you can't afford in like a new Mustang right now, again, you can also drop a whole ton of money on this and, and spend a whole ton of money and that's fine. But you know, this is a kind of card that somebody would have in their garage and might work on and maybe take to the track or fantasize about taking to the track. The idea of like a real, and the, the other thing is that, you know, it's a rally car, uh, basis, right? The all wheel drive system is based on is rallying and, um, about taking corners. The odd that this the rear end of this car kicks out so much because as an all-wheel drive car, it probably is going to have more grip than that. It depends on the tires, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But the, the point being that the baby driver's car chases are fantastical, but the cars are not fantasy cars. They're cars that are available cars to people, like when they drives around the old Cadillacs, right? Like, yes, those are cars that you might not actually have, but they're cars that you could conceivably afford. 
these days, right? You know, the 1985 Chevy Caprice or 1986 Chevy Caprice is great. It's actually, I think, the same car that Mike Ermintrout drives in Better Call Saul sure. this season. Um, but yeah, that these are these are cars that are that have a tangible realness. I'm going to get a Chevy Avalanche. This is not, you know, I'm going to get a brand new Chevy Colorado that has just been driven off the, you know, advertising agency's loading dock, right? This is this is like a car you can't buy anymore, and uh, you can buy it used, and that's why you can afford it. But the idea that it's yeah, an Avalanche, old old GM cars, Subaru, even the old Chevy. These sure, and what is yeah. I mean, what does Kevin Spacey drive like a Mercedes sedan or something like that? Like a totally. I, I think that's like an S class. Uh, it's nice. It's really nice, but it's not a fantasy car. No, yeah, exactly. I was about to say it's like uh, you know, there's a there's a white collar professional, you know, in in the, any city that has one of those, and you wouldn't sort of blink twice seeing it, you know, pulled up at the valet station of a medium nice restaurant, like what he, you know, what I mean, like like what he goes to, uh, yeah, what he takes Lady Rose to, <laughs> Lady Rose. Sorry, De- Deborah. <laughs> Deborah Degoba. <laughs> um, yeah, they, like it's interesting that if the music is bringing, if if Baby's consciousness, if the experience of Baby the character is bringing the music into reality, it is creating in this reality cars that are a mirror of an experience. That it's creating cars that have an authenticity to them. And so there's a fantastical and there's the authentic that are in competition with each other for proving out what the mythology, symbology, you know, poetry of this civilization that he's part of and is trying to understand is because it's kind of an epic a little bit. Right. It seems like it's sort of building out Baby Driver's world and trying to sort of explain Baby Driver's world. Even the little toy cars on the big maps are sort of mapping the reality you know this is what my reality is going to be like this is what i've memorized this is what i'm going to perform i'm going to perform this and bring it into being yeah and mean, it's just it, a shame it's, that not everybody gets the same shot to do it in the movie not everybody gets to live that way but anyway sorry yeah the, the, i mean the idea i don't know the idea of an epic is that it's sort of the story of a people it's like uh it's a uh why are things the way they are um mm-hmm. story and there's a case there's a case made usually for uh for a form of social organization um, that is, you know, uh, uh, posited to be superior than other forms of social organization, right? Like, hey, it's great the way we live, the way we live in Rome. Here's a story about Aeneas that that tells you why uh, it's great. That why everything is just is just as it should be. Like um, the sort of epic. I don't know the world that's that's built out is like is not a socially. Well, I guess I mean what you're saying is that the choice of the cars has a a kind of social realism to it, but but the. Um, I you know I don't know but it it's lacking in that like a, to me a sense of what the cars represent right like stock yeah. a stock you know stock uh, a metaphor for cars is like it has to do with with a kid getting his first car is the uh, his or her first car is the um oncoming adulthood right like and and the idea of of mobility and choice you know uh that that you're not confined and you're not monitored um and anymore and you have sort of power sometimes uh in fast and furious a lot of the times the cars are about self-actualization uh there was a whole thing in the most recent fast and furious movie about the the car being um sort of one with the driver i mean there were actually two levels to that one with the the person behind the wheel uh and also one with the the person who puts the work in to the car and sort of who loves and maintains uh the engine um of the car so sometimes the car is a little uh is kind of a a picture of the self a picture of the self um writ large uh right uh in in movies that focus on cars in traffic the car you know the cars are about society uh and what you know what we um uh you know how we interact with each other right like and it's i don't know it's hard to map uh, any of these things onto like what do cars what do cars mean um in in baby driver i guess there's sort of cars yeah. are you know, cars are sort of an amplification device, right? They seem to find for <laughs> two in two respects. One is they play your music loud. 
Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and two is that they they kind of paint on a bigger canvas. Um, you know, uh, your um, they're like the the robot arms in in Dave when he says, "I once caught a fish this big." It's a way of kind of uh, of expanding the scope of your agency so that uh, your kind of your traversal of space can be done at at great speed and with you know a lot of uh, force momentum, I guess behind you know behind it. Yeah, maybe a better movement to look to would be expressionism. Huh. And think think of Baby Driver as happening high, being highly subjective from the perspective of Baby, thus explaining how the phenomena of the world around him don't follow causalities that would make sense to us, such as why does the music and the and the graffiti why do they match each other? Why is Baby able to sort of predetermine random events? And that would explain some of how the reality of it all works, especially his moral confrontation with other people that gets, especially innocent bystanders, that gets pushed in his own frame of reference, which includes his fantasy sequence at the end, way out of proportion to how it would generally be experienced in real life. Yeah. And and in that sense, what the cars are is they're kind of anchors to his positive memory of the world. Like, it seems like the cars are real. That, that the cars are not so fancy that they're fantastical, but the things that he does in the cars are fantastical, right. which I think connects to how we sometimes feel about our own cars, these vehicles that we spend important parts of our lives in, important mo- memories in. But the 2006 Subaru WRX is a real car that Baby Driver actually drove in a hypothetical idea of a of a real positivist world in which the events of baby driver take place he doesn't do the things that he does in this movie but this is the more expressionistic view where baby driver's subjective experience is really blown out which is also why i don't believe that he doesn't like it i don't believe that baby driver doesn't have fun doing this and i'm not saying that you're wrong i'm saying you're right about the character not yeah on the level way on the, the level of story on the level of literal story what i said obtains but i i think you're right i think you're right about this yeah, that there's a conflict between Baby Driver's ambivalence towards his work that follows the plot and Baby Driver's experience as you watch him drive, where he actually seems to be having a great deal of fun and perhaps the most fun that he ever has. And there's there's a failure there to connect the direction and the story. And there's also a general I mean, if, it, if we're thinking of it as expressionistic, uh, there's a there's a failure to confront the angst. Right. To confront the uh, the the anxiety and the fear that baby driver has in his situation in the world, which is pretty freaking precarious. Yeah. And we feel a lot of angst. There's a lot of suspense through the movie, which is part of what makes it good in the sense. It is. I will still say it is a good movie, even though I would totally understand why people were pissed off by it for a bunch of understandable reasons. But there's a ton of really good suspense. But I while so much of the movie gets channeled through baby driver's experience. The suspense doesn't like baby driver doesn't seem to be in suspense. We're in suspense. And maybe that's part of why the whole thing doesn't quite land at the end. Why? Why it is less than what it might be, although it is still much better than it could be, because it could just be another need for speed, which not that not to bash that because I haven't seen it. But my sense I'm using that as a hypothetical, unremarkable driving movie. Yeah. Right. That You know, that oh, it's, it's just another movie where somebody's driving a fast car and there's a chase and there's a good guy and there's a bad guy and there's a couple twists and then it's over. Baby Driver is much better than those movies. But there's something in the heart of what is happening, especially in the first like 45 minutes of this movie, that speaks to a bigger movie that this movie doesn't quite step up to. Yeah. I mean, some of the some of the sort of superhero uh, superhero esque or like highly skilled, the sort of secret agent or like performance driving, like he's been to the Bondurant Racing School, right? Like, uh, kind of moves that he does. Like, I I look at things like this, and it it calls to mind like secret agent movies. Um, you know, like Tom Cruise in Mission Impossible, you know, right. and some of the some of the things that he does. And there's a whole metatextual level to that, because like everyone is is they, they make such a big deal about how Cruise does his own stunts and, and 
and things like this. And I think this feeds into this thing. Um, James Bond is another one, like secret secret agent movies a little bit. And I, I, I don't know, maybe I, the, the criminal movie is a type of secret agent movie a little bit because it's about a world uh, that overlays our world, um, but that you're not a part of, you know, as, as a good, you know, middle-class moviegoer. Uh, you're, you know, enjoying your luxury entertainment. You're not a part of this, uh, um, this underbelly, uh, or this kind of secret, uh, you know, orthogonal, like polarized the opposite direction sort of world. And the, the message, I think there are like two comforting fantasies in, uh, superhero movies. One is that people are watching out for us. Um, and two in the sort of the eternal, uh, anxiety about modernity, which is that everything is too complicated and we don't know what's going on. Um, and we can't, we've sort of lost the, uh, the ability to, really affect our environment or like we can't you know uh you, you can't really make meaningful change because the systems are too like complex and the wireish and things like this that there there is a cadre of people who can kind of cut through the bs you know and and like make things happen when that bomb is ticking or when that whatever right the the uh, under duress um you know under under great pressure these these good outcomes can can be achieved um by the uh by the special people now i want to relate this to cars a little bit by uh you know recalling something that my dad once said to me which is that you know these cars today you can't work on them like my dad was a guy who is a guy who likes to swing a wrench and uh you know, um, bought a, uh, an old 1950s Chevrolet truck, uh, so that he could tinker on it, you know, and, and, uh, it was pretty cool. Um, the, uh, the, you know, cars today, like try opening the hood of, of your car and like figuring out other than like maybe the dipstick to check the oil, what, or like to put in windshield fluid or something like that, where, where, uh, a lot of the components that, that you'd look for, uh, are, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of the belts, it, like you need a, a master's degree in mechanical engineering just to like trace the path that the belt takes through, uh, uh, uh through the engine, right? Like the, the, um, and then like all the diagnostics are done with computers now and things like this. It's another, it's another sort of, um, it's another thing that's been kind of placed beyond the uh, placed beyond the reach of the layman or even the the sort of serious hobbyist, um, and that the uh, you know that there's something in this fantasy of like being very good at at driving, right? That is that is about a, a nostalgia for a world. Well, nostalgia for for a world that was much simpler, like like baby drivers. Uh, uh, childhood right that's that like and it's it's all there's never been a time when people didn't feel this way like the world was incomprehensible and and uh you know um meaning was was slipping through their grasp um that just as there's never been a time when you know the adults didn't uh talk about these kids today and their crazy values and their uh, irresponsibility and you know whatever um the but like it, you sort of fantasize that that the world was uh that the world was simpler um that once cars were something that you could kind of uh wrap your mind around and the the so when there's like mastery at driving um presented as its own thing like that's not you know that's not secondary to a job right that's you know i don't know this this person is in the secret service detail and needs to know evasive driving or something like that in you know in order to like fulfill uh, his or her job responsibilities um when it's presented as its own thing as kind of a virtue in itself uh it makes me wonder what's going on um and and i think you know i don't know i think like a lot of things that a lot of things that can make us feel sort of powerless or overwhelmed the the power fantasy of the, of the kind of the mastery right the superhero like or the secret agent like mastery of this domain uh is something that gives us is something that gives us pleasure right 
I think so. I would add to the dimension of nostalgia a bit because there's a sense in Baby Driver that, yes, Baby Driver is nostalgic for his childhood, but I felt like there was also an association with an unfulfilled promise for a sort of life that was never experienced and that it runs through a lot of the movie and that this is part of why he is a baby driver because he didn't get to grow up to be an adult regular person, <laughs> whatever a regular person is. And this is a movie that has a very strong opinion about what a regular person yeah, is, an adult, which is an part adult of why worker, it's objectionable. Right? Yeah. What's up? An adult worker, an adult, an, cog an, an adult machine, male worker right? in a heterosexual relationship with a pretty girl is a regular person, right? With a good car and a pretty, good job I and mean, a nice pr house. Pretty white girl. Cause like John Hamm yeah. has a girlfriend, but she doesn't count. Right. Well, she is, she's a transgression, right? Because she's not his wife from before. Yeah. Even right. though they've been married many times. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, exactly. I, I'm totally on the same page with you. That, But that it's not just – it is partially that people have nostalgia for a previous world where they could have enjoyed these simpler things. But yeah, there's also this sense that I was told that this was something that would happen to me. It's not something I experienced necessarily that I'm recalling and remembering. It's something that I was given the impression was going to be my life and isn't. And that with that comes a sense of betrayal and a rage and angst that how do you create yourself in that kind of setting? Yeah, I mean, and I it's think a little yeah. bit even the suburban um, even the suburban uh, fantasy flashbacks are a little bit doomed because, like, mom and dad weren't getting along. There's the uh, more than the intimation. There's the the sort of stark reality that that dad was violent. You know um, that, like, you know that this this happy home wasn't uh, wasn't all it was cracked up to be. Or sort of it it didn't like even though it's shot in these sort of golden hued uh, idealistic ideal of vision right it's not uh it it's not that um yeah it's not what it was cracked up to be right um so here's here's another thought one thing we haven't addressed is the specific music that's referenced in this movie and i wonder how important it is in particular i wonder i wonder about brighton rock Right. So because Brighton Rock is supposedly if you look at the marketing material for this movie, it's supposed to be that everybody has one killer track and it's built up over the course of the movie that Baby Driver has one killer track that he only busts out when things really need to go down the right way. Yeah. And for him, the song is Queen's Brighton Rock. And we don't really get to hear Brighton Rock in, in its entirety because the scene that's in is so noisy and there's so much car chasing and fighting and driving around in the parking garage that there's not really an impression made of what Brighton Rock is in the same way as, say, the chain plays into the climactic <laughs> fight yeah. scene of Guardians of the Galaxy, right? Two, uh, dos. So the Guardians of the Galaxy does a great job of employing songs that you can understand what's being said at times when it matters. Even the intro to Guardians of the Galaxy 2 with Mr. Blue Sky it's there's a lot that's going on in those lyrics that you, you can hear and hear again and associate with the story in baby driver i feel like maybe there's more in the association than comes out in the sound mixing uh -huh. that maybe if we got to hear more of the sound so because brighton rock is an interesting song uh, i'm going to read through some of these lyrics to brighton rock okay happy little day jimmy went away Met his little Jenny on a public holiday. A happy pair they made, so decorously laid, neath the gay illuminations along the promenade. It's so good to know there's still a little magic in the air. I'll weave my spell. Jenny, will you stay? Tarry with me, pray. Nothing air need come between us. Tell me, love, what do you say? Oh, no, I must away to my mum in disarray. If my mother should discover how I spent my holiday, it would be of small avail to talk of magic in the air. I'll say farewell. Oh, rock of ages, do not crumble. Love is breathing still. Oh, lady moon, shine down a little people magic, if you will. Jenny pines away, writes a letter every day. We must ever be together. Nothing can let my love erase. Oh, no, I'm compromised. I must apologize if my lady should discover how I spent my holidays. Ooh, ooh, ooh. So this superficially matches some of the plot events of the movie. <laughs> yeah. Right? That, that's not a coincidence. And there's even a movie, there's even a book called Brighton Rock that also has events involving like a child gangster and a girl named Rose, which is 
coincidentally the name of the character that Deborah's actress plays in Downton Abbey. So we'll dismiss that because that's that's conspiracy theory thinking. But at least in the Queen song, it's about a guy and a girl who want to be together outside of the context of a life where they're both being watched by and controlled by their parents. And they're feeling guilt, but they're also feeling excitement. It's a it's a seduction song. It's a song about seduction. And it's a song that ends with the woman writing the man letters about how she wants to be together with him, which is what happens at the end of Baby Driver. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and it's interesting that that song doesn't really get to sort of play in a full throated way. No, I, guess I mean, because the two times the two times it comes. Well, sure. But the two times it comes like one Jamie Foxx calls them gay for listening to it. Right. Right. In, in the first. And then it's, uh, you know, here's you know, here's your song. Um, as John Hamm is is driving the police cruiser, uh, straight straight at him, right? That these things are not, uh, you know, that this is supposed to be like the the triumphal thing, and it's sort of undercut. Um, it's undercut uh, every time it actually every time it actually appears. I mean, I will say that like that it does it does another thing that the uh, the other thing. Um, that it does is uh, create two worlds, right? The world of like Brighton, like a holiday at the shore uh, in Brighton. And then like whatever the kind of the square world is like home with mom or the city, maybe London, right? Like in there, uh, uh, you know, the place, the, the place where you live and work and sort of travel to the resort town, um, from so it also it creates these two sort of overlaid worlds of the like the the workaday nine to five regular person world and the like the not exactly underworld but the sort of holiday um, right the 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 holiday world which where things can happen it's like the Shakespearean woods like things can yeah. happen romantic pairings can happen um, it's not constrained by some of the same some of the same rules that the the uh, workaday world is constrained by. Which is interesting because you would expect that to be a dynamic that is present in a movie with a plot summary like this movie, and yet it is not present. The no, baby yeah. driver, yeah, he doesn't live a normal life. He doesn't live a boring life. He has a very well, exciting life. That sort has of no normalcy. To sort, it, right? sort of like he, you know, he takes care of his foster father, right? Like, yeah. and the the. Um, you and know, how great were those scenes? Those were great. Scenes. I love. Yeah, really good actor and really good chemistry between the between the two of them. I'm always like, I'm always a little queasy about disability as metaphor, right? Uh, but that, like, you know, um, but I think the relationship was was sort of really warm and well portrayed. Yeah, I, I, it was one of the better scenes involving American Sign Language and hearing impairedness that I've seen in movies that it's usually really bad it's much better than the one in john wick 2 where, where there's like the deaf assassin who uses sign language and i think john wick is supposed to understand sign language for some reason which i don't quite understand john, john wick understands uh, every language he's a, that's true he's a superhero right like there, there's no uh, it's actually not unrelated to john wick because of the sort of the the sort of un, unbelievable mastery the the yeah. mastery to the point of invulnerability you know, and, 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 and the sort of competent culture of the underworld yeah. that has its own rules and code and management. And there's a confidence in the way that things happen in the underworld that you don't have because of Kevin Spacey and his invisible hand on everything that's happening. This force of fate who's sort of the continental kind of guy, then uh, that, that does change. So, yeah, it is. It does feel similar to John Wick in this way. Yeah, it's just I just I wonder. I, it's, it's unfortunate because I wanted I want to go. I like this movie and I want to talk about it in the context of what it says and yet i find myself wanting to talk about instead or actually talking about instead what it yearns to say and doesn't quite say well yeah i mean i i uh, all but a man's reach should exceed his grasp you know mm. <laughs> or, what's enough, a, or what's a or what's a or what's a sepia toned uh flashback for 
<laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know. This uh, ask uh, ask the romantics. The capital are romantics. They, you know, um, maybe maybe they would know. I, you know, I don't know. I, I think like better. Not that we have to kind of wrap up the analysis in the bow uh, in a bow, but the the I, I'd rather see something that is ambitious and uh, uh, ambitious and interesting uh, than something that is sort of gruel, gruelingly competent. You know, right. like just give the women and people of color better roles next time. That's all. Yeah. It's, you know, <laughs> hey, look, it helps everybody when there are uh, good characters that you care about. By good characters, I mean, like recognizably human characters yeah. uh, that that you care about. Yeah. And and if if everybody uh, if everybody who's a collection of, of stereotypes uh, is a person of color or is uh, non male. Um, yeah, that that uh, I mean, you know. Uh, I, I hate the P word, but it gets a little problematic. Um, the, the, you know, I don't know. It's, it it helps to care about, it helps to care about people. You know, I don't know. I, I, I mean, we could have done this podcast on, uh, Transformers the last night, right? <laughs> we could have, in which case it would help to care about robots a lot more than we do. Yeah. <laughs> but That's, instead we care about people um, and that makes us the luckiest people in the world. Yeah. So there you go. <laughs> Oh, moral. Moral of the story. Point taken. Well, thanks very much, Pete, for watching and, and discussing Baby Driver with me. I, it's always a pleasure to do one of our storied two-handers. Indeed. Indeed. Definitely. Uh, this, one, this one, it was two-hander. One hand's on the wheel and the other's on the sh- on the stick shift, right? right. Yeah. Lot of, and yeah. Even, even if the throws exceed our grasp. So. <laughs> the, a lot of, yeah, a lot of good, a uh, lot of good clutch uh, close-ups in this movie, right? A lot of good, like gear shifting. Um, it's like a, it's like a, a DMV. It's like a, you know, driver's ed video or something like that. How to, how to drive a, a manual transmission. Um, and thanks very much uh, to you for listening. And uh, we'll see you on the next Overthinking It podcast. Until then, you can visit us on the web at Overthinking It, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny. It, it probably. probably- And for the last time, this is not part of the Boss Baby Cinematic Universe. I've heard that comment too many times. We all know that Baby Driver and Boss Baby are different continuities uh, because I waited to the end credits for the Boss Baby to show up at the end of Baby Driver and it didn't show up. So I left disappointed. Did you actually watch the end credits? Uh, most of them. Why? Do they get really interesting? No, uh, but there is there is a title <laughs> card that says be moved at the end. Uh, before the before it goes black, it's not a an after credits scene where like you know Nick Fury comes and says, "Baby driver, let me talk to you about the Avengers Initiative." But uh, it is definitely uh, it is definitely there's saying something about about the film. Were you, were you moved? I think I was it, it, by the cars in real life, if not the cars in the movie. <laughs>